Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have today uh, Aaron Lasher and Brent Trademan. Aaron's a co-founder of BreadWallet. Uh, Brent recently joined on as a chief revenue officer. How are you guys doing today? BreadWallet meaning money wallet, right? Is that why you named the company that? Yeah, we uh, we get that question a lot. And uh, you can probably see that the word bread, uh, which of course is um, slang for, for money, is, is part of it. Uh, other than that, it starts with a B, which is convenient for Bitcoin. So bread, but not the edible kind, the money kind. Very good. All right. So tell me, what, what does uh, Bread Wallet do? Is it just a wallet, or what's you know what do you guys do at Bread Wallet? Sure. So um, I guess a little a little history is in order. Uh, bread Wallet was created by uh, Aaron Boisin in 2014, uh, and the reason he made Bread Wallet was because uh, Bitcoin was getting a lot of traction and uh, had a, held a lot of promise and was very exciting. But at the time, there were no user friendly uh, solutions for storing or sending or receiving Bitcoin. And so he took a very minimalist approach uh, to design and made a, a wallet that anyone could use, something that was simple, secure, and private. And uh, from that moment on, uh, we, we felt that uh, we had a great product and people really love it. Uh, they love to use it to introduce to friends. And it's a really, um, it's a really good onboarding uh, device for, for new, uh, new Bitcoin users. What do you think makes it um, easier to use or you know, more simple than other wallets out there? I think the, the main issue was that Bitcoin is highly technical. And so many of its early appreciators were also highly technical. And they were prone to making um, comp- complex solutions that maybe to them were not particularly complex, but to the average person um, they were. And so what you found was this kitchen sink approach uh, where many wallets had trade-offs. So if you wanted functionality in a wallet, uh, it, would, it would come at a user accessibility cost. And uh, Aaron decided that instead of, instead of trying to be everything for everyone, let's make something that's super secure, super simple, and is this onboard, uh, this, this ramp to the Bitcoin world. Now, you asked a question earlier, which was, are we just a wallet? Uh, in many ways, yes. But uh, we're excited that in a couple of days, we're going to launch a, a full redesign of the app. And we're even dropping the name, uh, the word wallet from our name. So we're going to be just bread, uh, signifying the, the move from uh, just a simple wallet to uh, more of a decentralized banking platform. Yeah, so, all right. So tell me what features are coming in to make you more of a, a banking platform instead of a wallet only? 
Sure. So starting with Bitcoin, it really opened the Pandora's box, digital assets. And what I mean by that is there's this digitization of everything going on. And I know we've all seen it in our lifetimes. Um, and the first thing that it really affected was media. So this is uh, things like TV or music, film. And one of, the, one, one of the components of everyday life that resisted this change uh, was money. And even though dollars are technically digital in many ways, most dollars exist as an entry on a ledger in a bank account, um, you couldn't digitize it easily because anything that's digital typically can be copied and pasted. So what, what does money look like if you can simply copy and paste it? Well, it quickly loses its value because it doesn't have any scarcity. And so one, um, one of the things that Bitcoin brought to the world is the ability to have something that's both, both digital and scarce. And it was the first one, and it, uh, it has this potential to be a global, uh, trusted, uh, very valuable form of money. Now, at the same time, uh, people have used this, this framework to start creating other digital tokens that are scarce. So one of the, uh, one of the most recent phenomena has been this, uh, this uh, ICO, if you will, the initial coin offerings, which is the uh, cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrency world's version of uh, an IPO or initial uh, price offering. And we now, we now understand that anything that can be represented um, in a ledger or by some accounting method can now be digitized and um, decentralized. So think about things like uh, car titles or uh, uh, home deeds, uh, traditional assets such as stocks, bonds, and real estate. All of these no longer have to be administered by a centralized uh, third party. Now, third parties do have some advantages. Uh, they offer convenient security. Uh, they offer usability. And in some, in some cases, they offer uh, incentives. So back in the day, at least, you used to be able to get some interest on your bank account. Not so much anymore, but uh, that was still part of the equation. Um, but centralized third parties do have one big downside, and that is that they can uh, restrict your access to your assets. Um, sometimes you probably deserve it, uh, but others, it can be politically motivated uh, or in a banking crisis, for instance, uh, you might have credit controls and or capital controls, sorry. And what this means is that there's a big reason to hold your assets yourself. There's a really good reason. Um, sometimes we forget, those of us who live in the U.S., uh, the banking system, for instance, uh, tends to work pretty well. Uh, infrequently, do we not have access to our money? But it does happen. And you can look at examples in uh, Greece or Cyprus uh, or India. When, when money misbehaves, it, it becomes a real problem for, for average people. So what we envision is the continuation of this uh, digitization of of assets, these digital tokens that will come to represent many different things above and beyond money. And these will be assets that uh, combined would, would form your portfolio. And Bread would like to be the platform that allows you to hold everything. So your money, your, uh, and, and all of your, your other digital tokens that represent uh, different forms of equity or promises or, or investments. And that's where we see the, uh, the market moving. So does that mean a, uh, a universal wallet? Or, you know, how would, what are some of the first types of tokens that you'd be able to hold in bread in addition to Bitcoin? So there's no, uh, there's no dearth of options. And I think today you can go on uh, coinmarketcap.com and see hundreds, if not thousands, of digital assets. And we can't support them all. So what we've done is uh, perform analyses 
based upon the different value propositions for different assets, where we think the market's going, uh, what we think provides value to individuals, and we're going to choose a select few. So that's still in the works, but, but I can share with you today that uh, we will be launching uh, Ethereum support in the wallet, and we will be launching ERC-20 token support in the wallet. Those are tokens that, that run on the Ethereum blockchain uh, and often represent uh, the value of some, some company or network uh, that's, that's uh, starting up operations. Well, that'd be a huge step. I mean, Ethereum alone is fine, but all the ERC-20 tokens is a lot now. So that should open open you up big time. When's the uh, planned inclusion of Ethereum and the ERC-20 tokens? Said just a few weeks? Uh, I can't share a hard date, but I can say that we are quite a ways along uh, in development. One of the one of the constraints we have is that we hold, a, we hold ourselves to a very high standard when it comes to security. And so everything that we release needs to be thoroughly tested and audited and sometimes that process is difficult to, uh, to estimate, but uh, it's being actively developed. We have uh, beta software uh, that's running. And so I, I don't think you'll have to wait too long, but I'm, I'm afraid I can't share uh, an exact date because we, we don't know yet. What about um, cross-chain atomic swaps? Are you going to try to include that so that your wallet becomes like a, like a revolver and you can pick and choose your, your token and load it up and get it ready to spend? Yeah, I, I think I think cross-chain atomic swaps are very interesting. Um, one of the challenges is that it's still in its infancy, and even though we aren't always first to market, uh, we like to be the best. So we're looking at that, and we'll we'll develop a plan around making that uh, a feature at some point. The only requirement is that uh, it makes sense for our customers, and that it's really really easy to use because it's it's uh, it's tempting to engage in this feature creep and just add things because they exist. But what we want to do is make sure that anything we put in there really has a reason to be there. People are going to use it. People are asking for it. And that it's, it's safe and secure. All right. So you said your wallet is very private and very secure and people really like it and simple. So tell me specifically, why is it those things? What is it about your wallet that makes it those things? Sure. So the, we'll start with uh, secure. So it uh, originally launched on just the iPhone because at the time the iPhone had the gold standard in uh, hardware encryption in the form of the secure enclave. So uh, most people don't realize that the most secure device that they own is their smartphone. It's certainly not their laptop. Uh, laptops are full of mal malware and they're, they're much less secure. Uh, the attack surface is much larger for malicious uh, software. So uh, we wanted to reduce that uh, that the vectors of attack as much as possible and the secure enclave provided a, a method for that. Uh, and it still does. And now it, uh, Breadwallet is also available in Android devices, uh, Marshmallow and up. So once the security in Android was sufficient where we thought it uh, was resilient to attacks, we launched an Android version. And uh, we con continuously worry about uh, the issue of security um, and, and make sure that we're, we're staying on top of new developments, but uh, we're pretty comfortable with the design that we have, and we don't lose a ton of sleep uh, over that uh, architecture. Uh, next would be uh, simplicity. So the, uh, the original app, which is the one available today, contains only uh, two screens. It has send and receive, uh, because those were the two most important things that you would do with your Bitcoin. Uh, of course, there's an advanced settings uh, section, but that's more hidden. Uh, we really wanted to push all the common uses to the front not clutter the screen, not confuse an individual, uh, because Bitcoin's very overwhelming. Uh, you know, you sound like someone who's had some experience in this space, and maybe you have something to share about uh, the complexity of Bitcoin or 
maybe the first time you, you found it uh, or heard about it, uh, it was a little bit difficult to, uh, to comprehend. Um, easy to for, it, it's easy to forget that. I mean, do, do you want to maybe, I'm interested, I, you know, I should probably ask you, what, um, what was your first foray into Bitcoin? Well, really, it's the, uh, the podcast. I, I first heard about it, uh, I think, 2013. A friend of mine, I was in Starbucks in New York, and he showed me an article in the newspaper, and he talked about opening up a mining operation. And I was like, what are you talking about? What What is this? You know? So I looked at it, and I was like, I, okay, I don't get it. And I left it for three years. And then with the podcast, I came back to it. But it took me know, at least five, six months, 30, 40 interviews, uh, going to meet up many times to really understand things. And even then, and then when I started using a wallet, at first I didn't know what send receive, send, receive versus buy and sell. Because the wallet I had, you know, I had a fiat gateway. So yeah, it's very difficult to understand. It's not at all obvious. I, I always wanted in a wallet where you can hover over something on a laptop or on an on a iPhone or Android or touch something and a little pop-up would come and say, send and receive means this. But I think there needs to be a lot of education embedded into a wallet. It's just my personal belief. Because it may seem obvious to other people, you're right, but it's not at all to the initial user. You know, or a, a refresh button. Okay, so someone's sending something to me, to my wallet. Well, where is it? Where is it? Do so I just sit there and look at the screen? <laughs> and I refresh it. Or I sent it, you know, is it maybe a few dots that go dot, 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 sending, 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 you know? That kind of stuff I think needs to be added. That's just my opinion. That's great. Yeah, that's that's great feedback. And um, you'll be pleased to know that in the new redesign of the app, we have a really deep and robust support center. So all scattered throughout the app are these little question marks. And anytime you're a little bit unsure or confused, you tap it and it'll tell you all about what's going on. And the, the reason we did that is because of feedback, uh, just like what you just what you just said, uh, we get lots of support requests uh, from individuals. And you seem like a pretty tech-savvy guy, but a lot of these people are not. Uh, and they ask questions, and we realize just how, uh, how simple we have to make it. And, and the education component's huge, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because I think we're, we're making big strides in that, in that direction. Yeah, if I can just add uh, to that, too. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Richard, that's a very good point you make. And I think just, just one thing that... In our analysis, as Aaron mentioned, just some of the things we looked at were just the on-ramp to, to Bitcoin made it super complex and hard for the average person. And that's why, you know, we see very low amount of new users uh, in cryptocurrency in general. And uh, we consider ourselves thought leaders in that space. And, you know, the more people we can bring into the community and the ecosystem, it's better for everybody. So, you know, one of the things we analyzed was just, you know, with the all with the Bitcoin's one thing and Ethereum's another, but just the the amount of people that don't understand the difference between an exchange and our wallet is um, is, is tremendous. So educating people, as to your point, just um, in this space is something everybody needs to do in general to just bring more users into the ecosystem. So that is definitely something that we are building in to uh, further releases and uh, just something, you know, when we go speak and, and get into the community and, and accelerators and startup areas is just, you know, bringing people on board and making it super easy is just something we have to be laser focused on. Yeah, you may want to even have, uh, when someone touches a question mark, you may even want to have a little video embedded there that shows them the function and tells them about it, you know, if it's possible. Another idea for you to really to even deepen what people see. That's great advice, and if we do it, we'll be sure to give you credit. No, I always picture uh, the customer as like a you know a sixty-something-year-old guy 
peering over the top of his glasses and looking really closely at the phone and jabbing at it really hard <laughs> in order to get it to work. And that's, that's, yeah. you know, that may not be the customer, but. Yeah, that is the customer, right? We, we equate it, especially with Main Street. There's an amazing amount of people just in Main Street USA just getting into crypto, um, you know, fear of missing out. But the, uh, we equate it to, you know, back in the 90s or early 90s, late 80s when people were going online. And, you know, their on-ramp was Prodigy and AOL. And they made it really easy because before that it was DOS. And you had to remember a lot of numbers and codes and things like that. So um, that is what where we are in the evolution um, is that really early phase of just getting people on board. And Fred is, is, is a pioneer and, and really thought leaders in doing that. And that's that's our vision of, of how we can take it to the next level. If you ever guys ever had a fiat gateway, you should, instead of buy and sell, you should have FOMO for buy and FUD for sell, you know. You know, I, in our in our Slack channel, it's funny you should say that. The, um, we have a, a little uh, bell, a little sales bell that goes off whenever people buy Bitcoin within the app. Uh, which, by the way, many people can, those in the U.S. with certain bank accounts. Uh, but the the title of the channel or the, the name of the channel is Sell USD. So we're right with you on the uh, on the fun titles. All right, so tell me about um, security and privacy. What happens to people's private keys and you know, how do, uh, can they create new addresses or do you restrict them? I mean, how does that side of it work? So I, I, touched, on, I touched on security. So let me round that one out first. The most important thing to do when you use BreadWallet is write down the 12 words that the app gives you and put it somewhere safe. If you do that, almost nothing can go wrong. You can lose your phone, it can be stolen, it can be lost. As long as you have those 12 words, you can input them into a fresh bread wallet and from those words is derived your, your list of uh, addresses and private keys. Of course, you don't see that, that's all under the hood, but that is the, the, the simplicity of, of how it works. And if you, uh, yeah, as long as you have those words, then, then, then you're fine. And I, I don't necessarily want to get into the technical details about how the words turn into private keys and addresses, uh, but you essentially have a never-ending list of addresses. Uh, every time you receive money in your bread wallet, your address changes. This is another thing that confuses people sometimes, uh, but it's all part of the design uh, leading us to privacy. So if you only use one address, uh, there are some privacy concerns. And well, maybe begin with why is privacy important? Uh, some people think that you only need privacy if you're doing nothing wrong. But the reality is that uh, everyone needs privacy because if people know th things about your financial uh, situation, uh, they'll judge you for better or worse. Uh, this is the same reason that people don't typically share their salaries with their coworkers. Uh, th there's never a right answer. It's either, it's either less than they thought, more than they thought. Uh, and if it's, you know, if it's what they thought, then well, that, that's pretty rare, but uh, there are a lot of reasons to maintain a certain level of financial privacy. Uh, not to mention, as you, as uh, once someone knows what you make or what you have, uh, they judge your decisions. So can that person really afford that car? Should they send their kid to private school? Um, I won't belabor the point, but I, I think you see what I'm saying. Uh, Bread Wallet changes your address because if you only used one address and you ask someone to send you Bitcoin, they could then observe that address and watch all the other money that you're receiving. So... Uh, it, it rotates, or sorry, it goes through uh, new addresses all the time to make sure that your funds are uh, adequately segregated. Uh, and at the same time, we have a model where the app connects directly to the Bitcoin network. And what I mean by that is it doesn't go through our servers. So we don't listen into or watch the transactions of our customers. 
We have no visibility into their balances, their transactions, their addresses. We know almost nothing about our customers. And this people tend to tend to value very highly because when it comes down to what, what a future might look like uh, with uh, different types of requests that companies can receive, uh, different uh, audits, or uh, let's say, for instance, there's a criminal that uses uh, someone's wallet. Uh, the government can come and say, uh, we want you to freeze their account, or we want you to tell us their transaction history. As long as we don't have that in the first place, we can't provide it. And that's part of how we've initially or intentionally hamstrung ourselves in, in many ways, trusting our customers to to follow the letter of the law, to to do as they as they see fit, but uh, understanding that we have no visibility and neither does anybody else into their financial activity. So you intended to be a custodian of their funds at all, the way it's set up. It's right. the entire opposite. Yeah, and one thing, just back to my comment about the exchanges. You know, when you talk to somebody and ask them what wallet they use, you know, Richard, you're, to your point, like you know. If we're not if we're not the holder of these funds, um, the level of security is quite different. So we consider you know an exchange really like a bank where they actually hold the money and can be hacked. And you've seen tons of news, and uh, the press loves it when you know an exchange gets hacked because it's you know everybody's clicking on that to, to see if the Bitcoin's been hacked or whatever it is. But um, that's where we come in is that you know we're that layer in between and, and really with that direct connection to the Bitcoin or to the blockchain, we can then have a strategic relationship with exchanges all around the world. People can procure their Bitcoin, sell their Bitcoin, and then come back to safety within the bet app. So it's a, it's a fundamental difference between us and a, an exchange wallet. Yeah, tell me about your um, your customer service for, for a minute. Were you the one, were you the guys that had a phone number set up to actually field questions? Yeah, that was us. Uh, we, we set up something called the Bitcoin Therapy Hotline. And the reason was that there's a lot of infighting within the Bitcoin community uh, surrounding how to scale the network. And it's become quite acrimonious. And we've always believed that conversations are better had face-to-face or over the phone versus on online forums like Reddit or Twitter, where people tend to talk past each other or uh, in a way that engenders mistrust. And so we said, no matter what you think or who you are, uh, if you're down about this whole situation, just give us a call and have a chat. And it wasn't 100% uh, serious, but it also wasn't 100% a joke. And it's a real line, and we get calls every day. And we've spoken to some of the most interesting people you could imagine. And it's been a really great experience. So, uh, Tell me about some of the interesting or insightful, crazy stuff you've heard. I think the first, the first thing that was, that was worth noting is that we didn't get any prank phone calls. And we still haven't gotten any prank phone calls. Every single person who's called in uh, had a legitimate reason to do so. And one of the things that I personally found a little humbling was everyone has an opinion about how the network should scale or which fork is better than the other. But uh, I I had to really revisit some of my uh, preconceptions having listened to highly intelligent, thoughtful, well-spoken people on both sides of the argument. And I, I have concluded that it really is a a difference in opinion um, and there's there's no or very very few nefarious uh, subversive uh, activities going on you know people talk about attacks on the network and, and so forth and I, I just don't believe that anymore I don't think I ever did uh, but that was one thing is it's great to just hear from people from from their own mouths how how they think about things another one I'll make one more point on the therapy hotline and uh, 
it might be a little unfair uh, to our competitors, but we, we've, um, people share a lot with us and uh, everything by default is uh, confidential, so I can't share details, but we've had lots of people call in who work at other Bitcoin companies and tell us about how things are good or bad at their company and what's going on. And uh, we, uh, we never really planned on that, but um, I guess we have some extra visibility into the industry that we wouldn't otherwise have. But uh, we, just, we just think of that as a curiosity. We don't, we don't use that as some kind of uh, business tool, if you will. What about for customer support? How often is the line supposed to be used for that, or is it that's something separate? It's not. It's separate. Um, if, uh, if someone calls with a really easy question, we'll answer it. But if they need serious technical support, we'll refer them to our email. Here's my question. You know, I'm a little bit older. I'm in my 40s and stuff. And um, I don't like that you can't call people. And a lot of customers, I think my age and older, want to call people. You know, I don't want to go on Slack. I don't want to just go into a troll box or email only, you know, and get a response like that. So do you think that will ever be a necessary thing for any of these wallets or, or companies or it's just going to stay like this? Because I think that uh, people are really missing out. I know it, it could be overwhelming with phone, but uh, I definitely think it should be something that should be added to these, these tools to make them work a lot better or real live chat or something. You know? It's just a question of resources. And we would love to provide 24-7 phone support. I think a lot of other companies would as, would as well. But there's a high overhead cost with uh, – with employing people and training them and quality control. And it's, uh, it's just very difficult and expensive. But I think that as we grow and we've raised some funding uh, that we're happy about, and I think we'll probably raise some more in the future, uh, that's going to be one of our top priorities is, is providing that kind of high-touch uh, customer engagement. Because I'm with you. I, I prefer to pick up the phone and call. Uh, there's just no one on the line right now. All right, well, just a couple more items. So um, you mentioned some of the updates coming uh, what else do you guys have coming for the next six months or a year? Where do you see the, you know, the bread ecosystem going? So um, right now, like like many uh, companies in the space, we're exploring uh, doing an ICO, speaking to a lot of outside advisors. Um, we're coming off a uh, a very large, for us, very large, uh, seven million dollar raise uh, in the past couple months. Uh, we had a successful raise. So with that, you know, to your point, adding. Um, some of the items like customer experience, marketing, product development, things of the, that nature for the short term um, with a really strict roadmap with, with tight de- deadlines to get some of that feature and functionality with that release coming out and multiple releases after that. Um, but with the with the onset of just uh, always be fundraising, um, the other thing we're looking at is an ICO. So, um, you know, with, with – uh, it was funny. I was talking to an ICO advising company recently, and they said they were uh, – um, so overwhelmed about the amount of inbound requests they're getting right now for ICOs uh, from startups that uh, they're not taking or talking to anybody until April of 2018. I just found that fascinating. Wow. So it just shows how crazy the, the space is. But, uh, you know, we are, we're a unique company to be looking at an ICO. Uh, you know, just talking to some outside advisors specifically saying that, you know, the best time to do it is before you have a company started. So very similar to a crowdfunding model or Kickstarter. Um, however, we, we kind of see it differently in that, uh, you know, it to us, it'd be a mere another way to fundraise and, you know, it, essentially a very unique way um, to go you know, with the demand of the market for tokens and, and seeing that as a as a vision and, and a future of how digital assets are evolving that, uh, you know, we can be a unique ICO participant and really 
you know, when you compare ourselves to other companies doing an ICO, we're pretty attractive as we already have revenue. We've got a lot of users in 120 plus countries and we're stable. So it kind of kind of side and, uh, you know, I think we have something really unique to bring to the ICO market. Have you guys integrated with the Shapeshift? Do you think that would help you or is that not necessary for the wallet? I think Shapeshift is a great company, uh, and they have a great platform, and uh, we, we may do so. Uh, we may also create our own exchange. Uh, we'll have to see what, uh, what makes the most sense. Okay, very good. A oh, couple, couple last items. So how can um, – I mean, it just sounds like if people want to get Bread Wallet, they go to the App Store, right, Android or iOS, and download it, or they can uh, – do you have a desktop version as well or just, uh, just on phone? Uh, we just keep it on mobile for now, probably forever, frankly. Okay, that's fine. And then what about the uh, the hotline? Do you want to give that here, or is that really not relevant to the conversation? People could find it somewhere else. Yeah, they can. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but they can Google Bitcoin therapy hotline, and it'll be among the top uh, uh, the top results. Uh, we look forward to your calls. Uh, it's really it's really a good exercise, I think, for everybody. Uh, just keeping customers in touch with, with companies, but also providing a place where people can blow off a little steam and have a conversation. Very good. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm going to check out Bread Wallet. I, I haven't yet personally, but I like to look at it and, and see how easy it is to use, and I encourage people listening to check it out because it sounds like you put a lot of thought into it. So thanks for coming well, on the podcast. Sounds good. We've got a big release coming out this week, so check out the uh, newly designed app. I'd love your feedback. Thanks, everybody. Yep, appreciate it. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.